0: turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. I think it's appropriate on a day like today that we read the story. Sometimes we depend on what we've heard down through through the ages, but sometimes we have to read it for ourselves. We have to accept it for ourselves. And Matthew 27 is a remarkable chapter. There is so much that is just Put into that one chapter. It's got 66 verses. And every verse almost has a story. Every verse is remarkable. Some things are just brushed over, but they are such remarkable things. And as I read it, I pray that some of those things will be opened up to you. That you would sense it in your own heart. That, wow, I've never seen that before. Starts off in Matthew 27 from verse 1. It says, early in the morning... All the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Verse 3 When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, it's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. I mean, that's a dramatic start to any story. Before I go on, I just want to say a word about regret. Regret. Regret is one of the most difficult things to deal with in life, and the way you avoid regret is to do the right thing at the right time, and when we choose the wrong thing, we end up with regret, and I wanted to encourage you and say, be aware, let's do the right thing, because you don't want the remorse. Remorse or the regret as we see illustrated here. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver The price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they bring in against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want, to rele- you want me to release to you? Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. I want you to note that phrase. Pilate, the authority, knew that it was out of self-interest. He was not ignorant. It's something you can just read over and perhaps miss there for a moment. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. I wanted to pause here as well. And I want to say to, you, to the gentleman in the room, be aware of what your wife picks up on. Ladies, I'm here to... uh... (laughs) The ladies have blessed with something called intuition. Sometimes they have a sense of knowing. I remember my mother having a sense of knowing that my father didn't listen to and it brought suffering on us as a family. Pilate is sitting there. Can Can you picture this? Pilate is sitting there and his wife, God, is busy dealing with her. And she just says, don't have anything to do with this." And I think Pilate took her advice. But the chief priests and the elders, verse 20, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said, it's your responsibility. Verse 25, all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Verse 27. The governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked, Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, there was a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. It's a phrase you can just pass over. But here, these people sat and watched him. Above his head was placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Here it gets interesting. Verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. Luke says, the whole earth. About three in the afternoon, that's after the darkness, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lamas sabachthani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those weren't just random words that came out of his mouth. He was quoting from one of the Psalms, for your information. When some of those who heard, they said, he's calling Elijah, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine, vinegar, and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Listen carefully to this. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top, to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now you can just read over that as if la 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 la. But I was wondering if I could bring Brother Miles Monroe out the door here today. (laughs) How silent you would be. These were amazing things that were taking place. When the centurion who was with him, God in Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely, He was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As the evening approached, verse 57, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he said, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered let it be given to him. He has no negotiation. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, one of the the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days he will rise again. So give the order that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Isn't it a remarkable story? You know, sometimes we've just got to read these stories because sometimes we've just heard drips and drabs and then we must read it for ourselves. It must become a reality. And for me, the turning point in this whole story is in verse 45, verse 45 where it says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now, you could just dismiss that. You could just overlook it or read past it. But it's significant. The story of the crucifixion is really one of suffering and death. There are many details and and significant aspects that we've just read. Starts off with Judas and what happened with him and his death. Then we see the governor and Pilate and his interactions, the governor Pilate and his interactions with Jesus. Then we see the interplay between the chief priests and the elders and Pilate again. We see the story of Barabbas where they chose a criminal and condemned the innocent. We see how things escalated. We see how the people took responsibility for what they were doing. We see how Jesus was mocked and scourged. And we see details of his death in considerable detail. And in the middle of all this, we see all these supernatural things happening. We see, firstly, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. We see that there was earthquakes or earthquake. We're not sure. We see the rocks were split open. Have you ever seen a rock split open? Well, I haven't personally seen it, but I watched a documentary the other day on a place in America in one of their national parks where they had like a dome. It looks much like that, uh, like the Freirefort dome, a dome of rock. And there was water next to it. And so it was a place where the public would go and they would lie on on this big rock and then swim and enjoy themselves. And one day, these rocks started to explode. It was the strangest phenomena and it was caught on video. And what had happened was they'd had a few days of excessively cold, wet weather, followed by a few days of excessively hot, dry weather. And so the expansion and contraction, or so they thought, had caused this phenomena to occur where the rocks would crack open. They would just, and they would make a, a very loud, exploding noise, and then the rock pieces would fly up. And they had to cordon it off because it was too dangerous for people to go there. And they had to wait, I don't know how long, before eventually it stabilized and they could clean it up and people could begin to use it again. So, in the middle of all this, there's all this dramatic stuff taking place. And then you have the dead coming back to life. And notice it says, those who were holy. It wasn't just anybody. Those who were holy came back to life, and later they appeared in public. But the strangest of all must have been this darkness that came over the earth. Because it was something that probably everybody experienced. You see, the, the curtain in the temple, perhaps it was just the priests that saw that. The earthquake, we don't know. But the darkness must have been something that was witnessed by many. It was an Im- unimaginable thing. And then the story goes on when we see how he's buried, Jesus is buried, and and then we realize it's only the end of the beginning. And I noticed a couple of things. Firstly, that Jesus died in a very public way. He died in a very public way. There was nothing hidden, there was nothing concealed. It was very public in the open on a hill in broad daylight for everybody to see. It was very, very public what he went through. Nowadays, in countries where they still practice the death penalty, it's done in seclusion. It's done behind closed doors. This was not done like that. In fact, they sat and watched it like some kind of spectacle. And it was very public. And I suppose it was done like that to compel people to be submissive. I'm not too sure. But imagine if it had been done in isolation. Imagine if no one had seen it. But everybody saw it. The authorities saw it. The priests saw it. The family saw it. The friends saw it. And you know, there's been many queries about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And did he actually rise from the dead? And many people who are skeptics, who are not sure, and this. But there's one thing that's never been questioned, and that was who was actually on the cross. wasn't questioned. Why? Because everybody could see it was done in public. In the broad daylight, running up to 12 noon. And it was very, very public. The second thing I see is this amazing celestial miracle. This miracle that happens when the darkness comes. And it says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now, this must have shocked even the hardest-hearted people. You must remember in those days, there wasn't electricity. There wasn't the generator and your daylight switch and your, all these kind of things. It would have been dark. And here, probably the people would have stopped working probably everything would have stopped. Probably there was fear because there'd been these earthquakes and there'd been all this that's going on. And probably people were, you know, groping around trying to find out where they were and trying to get to where they needed to be. And and, and probably it was a stillness probably came over. And it was this darkness that came over And it was at the brightest time of the day, when the sun was directly overhead, when shadows are at their shortest, and sometimes we can overlook this, but it was dramatic, it was out of the ordinary, and it was borderline scary. And it really made what was happening on Calvary everybody's problem, because everybody became aware of it. And I want to tell you, midnight in the middle of the day is only something God can do. And sometimes we only associate God with good things. He's benevolent. But he's a God of righteousness and justice. And it was God who brought the darkness. I believe Jesus is God and it was he who brought the darkness. And if he can bring the celestial miracle in the worst time of his suffering and he can attend to that surely you can attend to your need but the crucifixion couldn't go unnoticed because there were all these things going on it couldn't go unnoticed now some people by the way in the book of luke it says the sun stopped shining it's more specific it says the sun stopped shining now some people say oh it was an eclipse And I suppose you could almost reason that. But I want to tell you a couple of reasons why it cannot be that. One is that Passover is usually celebrated around the time of full moon. You cannot have full moon and an eclipse at the same time. Any of you who have studied geography will know that that's not possible. The light that an eclipse creates is Basically, a subdued lighting. One can't really call it darkness. And when I went and researched it, I found the longest eclipse, the longest, the longest an eclipse can ever last is seven minutes and 31 seconds. And it's usually shorter. So it was impossible. And that makes it a miracle. That makes it a miracle. And you might be sitting here and thinking, well, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe that's where the problem starts. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus when he said in Mark 10, 27, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The third point is that the light departed. It was dark. The physical light of the sun was removed. And this took these things to a completely new level. Something was playing out in the heavens that was a reflection of what was playing out on the earth in a spiritual way. And the Bible does say the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Here we have three hours of darkness and we have Jesus in the grave for three days. We have this parallel, this this example. And we see the light of the earth going out. And then we see the light of the world dying. Jesus said, He is the light of the world. That word world is different from the light, the darkness that covered the earth. The darkness that covered the earth was referring to the world in which we live. The light of the world speaks of the cosmos. And so we have a situation here where the light was removed. It was taken away. To all intent and purpose, it died. And it's almost as if something of God's greatness is revealed in all this. And at the darkest moment in history, not only did the earth's light, the sun, depart, but the light of the world died. And therein lay the real tragedy. You see, just as the earth cannot survive without the light of the sun, so you and I cannot survive without the light of the sun in our lives. We need him. Without the light of the sun on the earth, nothing would survive. And without his light in our hearts, we can be physically alive but dead in every other way. But the joy was, point four, the light returned. The light returned. It's a a beautiful story. And it's interesting to note, if you go and read the timing, that it was after the darkness, when the light returned physically, that Jesus died. It's an interesting one there. You can go and read it in Matthew 27 from verse 45. Because it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice. And then it says he gave up his spirit. So part of his suffering was in darkness. Part of his suffering was in public, in the full blaze of the sun. But part of his suffering was in darkness. I don't know if you've been through it, maybe one, any, somebody here, who's, you've been through a difficult time, and no one really knows what you went through. Can anybody identify with that? Not even your spouse. And I want to tell you there's an aspect of Jesus' suffering that is shrouded in darkness. We will never grasp it. We will never understand it. We will never come to terms with it. It wasn't observed. Probably it was the worst. Because the three hours prior to death were surely the worst hours. Ah, oh, must have been.
1: But the wonderful thing is that
0: the physical light came back. And then Jesus died. And then three days later, the light of the world rose again. The light of the world rose again. And that to me is the most remarkable thing. The light was restored. And when we see all that had happened. And we see the wonderful miracle of the the light of the world being restored. It is so great. That the issues of earthquakes, darkness, curtains being torn. Rocks exploding. Dead coming up from the grave don't compare and we can just brush over them because the miracle is so great that all those things fall into perspective but of course those things will happen of course those things are going to happen because the miracle was so great we don't even need to worry about those things because the miracle is so great and it says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16 The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Micah wrote in Micah 7 and verse 8, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And because of his death, he can be your light. And let the resurrected light of the world come and flood your heart and soul today. And let it drive out any darkness that may be there or has been there, let it drive out that darkness because light drives out darkness. David wrote in Psalm 27, he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? At this point, I'd like to ask the communion team to go and prepare the elements as I share the last point. And my question is, when we see the magnitude of the miracles and the miracle that took place, You know, we can just stand amazed. But is there something we must do? Is there something from our side? Well, I believe there's many things, but one of the things is just to say thank you. You see, sometimes we think of saying thank you, it's like when we say grace at the table. Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for dying for me. Bless the dog. Amen. Amen. It must be more than that. There must come a moment where, like in the darkness of those three hours when the whole world came to a standstill and here you sit 2,000 years later, you've come to this place, you're sitting still, you're thinking about these things. There comes this moment where we can say thank you. Not just out of our heads, out of our very hearts and out of our very beings, thank you. Romans 7 verse 25 says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 75 and verse 1 says, We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks. You are present. And your miracles confirm that. And I want to encourage us to be forever thankful. And that today, as we have communion, you would consciously, out of an informed mind, make a quality decision that you are going to thank the Lord for what he has done for you. That you're going to thank Jesus for his death on the cross. That you will take a moment, a precious moment, a special moment, a significant moment, and thank Him from the heart with all that is in you for what He has done at Calvary. And that's what we want to do now as we serve communion. Can I ask the communion team to begin to serve? Please hold the cup and hold the bread. We can partake together when everybody's been served. Thank you.